On the Record with Gavin Riley. Brought to you by PwC on News Talk. Now, this week, Belfast has been celebrating the first anniversary of something very special. Now, you might know that Dublin is a UNESCO World City of Literature. But did you know that Belfast this week last year achieved the status of UNESCO World City of Music? Um, I certainly didn't until Donald Fallon sent in his brief uh, for this Lunchtime's Hidden Histories. Um, The musical history of the city is much more, though, than just a response to the Troubles. It does go all the way back to the 18th century. And as Belfast prepares for the Northern Ireland Music Awards this week, it is a good time to explore the journey. And Donald Fallon, who has spent more than his fair share of time plotting the pavements of Belfast, has come all the way down now to the Big Smoke. Yeah, sitting in the the Sunflower Bar most of the time. Okay, well... (laughs) If if you need to know where to find him on some other lost Saturday, that might be a good start. Um, In some ways, Donald, Belfast could have made a bold claim for the same title as Dublin. Absolutely. And look, I mean, Belfast's status as a a UNESCO city of literature, sorry, Dublin's status as a UNESCO city of literature is unsurprising. I mean, Mm. look, one city producing the authors of Dracula, Gulliver's Travels, Ulysses, and the picture of Dorian Gray is is good work, isn't it? And when you walk around the city, you look closely. Uh, you might spot the UNESCO City of Literature plaques. There's actually one of them on the front of Grogan's, which is kind of befitting. <laughs> Another you know? place we might find you yeah, on a Saturday. <laughs> given the connection of public houses and literature in this town. But Belfast, of course, you know, is itself a towering city of literature. It's mm. C.S. Lewis. Uh, it's Louis McNeese in our own time. It's it's the Booker Prize winner, uh, Anna Burns. You know, it's, oh, it's a right. great yes. city of literature. But it was music which UNESCO have crowned Belfast for. Mm. So let's look at that today, and let's you know let's do something unusual on the slot, uh, and let's hear a little bit of it as well. Mm. And UNESCO, it's all about cultural heritage, tangible and intangible. So I suppose what we're going to get into today is what was it. Uh, that won Belfast this incredible status, a mm. recognised world city of music. Uh, let's rewind, though, back a little bit, uh, the background to UNESCO, because people might be surprised about just how old uh, the body is and how it came to being in the first place. Yeah, or you know, even what UNESCO stands for uh, might, might be new to a lot of people. United Nations Educational Scientific Cultural Organisation. And it's born, mm. you know, interestingly enough, on the 16th of November, so that, that's an anniversary that yeah. falls this week, mm-hmm. coming in, in 1945. So think of everything that had just happened right. uh, in the years before. And in the words of its founder, what it wanted to do was build intellectual and moral solidarity of mankind. So 44 countries come together trying to build cultural understanding and it does a lot of very diverse things. I mean, it does stuff in the fields of education, research, the arts, in the broadest sense, science and beyond. But, you know, culture in 1945, I mean, think about what had just happened, the abuse of culture Mm. in the war. I mean, the outlawing of art, the destruction uh, of books, the lack of understanding between people. So, yeah, UNESCO was kind of like a very you know, utopian post-war idea of what we could look like going forwards. And when it comes to cities of music in these islands, you know, UNESCO haven't appointed a whole lot of them. The first one, uh, fittingly, was Liverpool. Mm. Uh, And that recognised, I suppose, a great musical heritage that goes far beyond the Beatles. I mean, Mm. something contemporary (laughs) too. And an acknowledgement, as they put it, of music's place in the heart of a city's life. And if you've been to Liverpool, you really feel that. Music is Mm. absolutely Everywhere. I love how in Manchester no one talks about the Beatles and in Liverpool no one talks about the Smiths. You know, they just ignore each other. But <laughs> yeah. Liverpool's contribution to music is yeah. undeniable. But for an island as small as we are, it's no small achievement to have both a world city of literature and a world city of music. Yeah, it can be sometimes overlooked, by the way, if anyone's ever in Liverpool for footballing reasons or anything else. Down on the riverfront beside the Mersey, often people will go on Beatles tours and you'll go and look at the Beatles uh, statues that are there beside the V&A and everything else. But actually, the, the British Museum of Music, I think, is just there on the riverfront beside yes. the, the Liverbird building. A uh, really excellent place to while away a few hours. Um, if there is one instrument, historically, that Belfast is bound to, uh, it might not be the drums or the bass guitar, or the rhythm guitar or anything else. It might be the harp. Yeah, I think what's amazing about Belfast's musical heritage is how 
far it stretches back, you know, into the 1790s. Belfast hosted uh, the Belfast Harp Festival, which was uh, a festival of the finest harpists on the island of Ireland. It became a very important thing kind of by accident because uh, it coincided with the Bastille Day celebrations in the city. There was an electric atmosphere in, in, in 1790s Belfast and the harp would become the symbol of the Society of, of United Irishmen who mm. were born uh, like all good ideas, you know, in, in the back room of a pub in Belfast. But uh, Wolf Tone taught very little, actually, of that of that harp festival. He dropped in on it one day, on the last day for a look. And I've always felt he, he sounds like a lost wanderer into a tent at the electric picnic, you know, who isn't convinced by what he sees on the stage. Describing the great Belfast harp festival, Wolf Tone wrote, the harpers again, strum, strum, strum and be hanged. You know, he wasn't really into it. <laughs> But most loved it. Sons. <laughs> That's a bad review, isn't it? <laughs> most people loved it. And the harp, you know, which already held a special place in Irish consciousness, uh, was kind of revived, we might say, in the Belfast of the uh, 1790s. So it's a big part of the story of Belfast, the okay. resurrection of the harp. But I think what really makes a UNESCO city of music, what they, what they really look for, isn't just a history like that to an instrument. It's venues, you know, and in the case of Belfast, the Ulster Hall is just an incredible place. If, if you've mm. never had the chance to see a gig there, it's, it's a beautiful venue from the 1860s. The locals call it the Grand Dame of Bedford Street. You know, it goes right back to the Victorian age. And it, yeah, it has that, you know, extraordinary pedigree that venues of that age, like the Olympia Theatre in Dublin. Mm. If you've been around long enough, you've seen some incredible things. Uh, and more importantly, uh, the, the Grand Dame of Bedford Street, the, the Ulster Hall, it's also an important part of the story of a more hopeful vision uh, in Troubles Time. This brings us back to the contemporary. And of course, it's very central to a certain guitarist. There's a beautiful plaque on the, on the, uh, on, on the building and it honours Rory Gallagher because he had this fearless continued touring uh, during the height of the Troubles. And many people walked away. I mean, we looked at that on this slot before the clash mm. go to Belfast and decide oh it's a little bit too dangerous now for us to do a gig here and don't and don't play Rory constantly played in the north uh, during the, the height of the troubles and he won kind of adoring fans across sectarian divisions and when you think about you know what happened the the the, the murder of the Miami show band it was an incredibly yeah. brave thing for mm-hmm. a, a young musician to keep playing uh, north and south in the way Rory did so while you know Cork and Donegal have been fighting for, for Rory Gallagher for a long time <laughs> he, he is a, a crucial part of the story of, of Belfast and much love there it's also, and I didn't notice till I was researching the venue for today, it's actually the venue where Led Zeppelin played Stairway to Heaven live for the first time, which is really? pretty cool. Anywhere yeah, in the world. The Ulster Hall, which is amazing. That's wow. an amazing little tidbit of information. But I think what really matters in the musical heritage of Belfast and what is still in the bones of people of a certain mm. age when you talk to them is what it meant uh, that Rory did that. So Dublin was the uh, the first place where anyone in the world hurled uh, Handel's Messiah. That was premiered in Fishamble yeah. Street, but then uh, Led Zeppelin <laughs> premiered Stairway to Heaven <laughs> in the Ulster Hall. I sort of feel like the, uh, Belfast doesn't get its fair share of kudos for that because that that's pretty sensational. Um, and then, of course, uh, when you're getting into the contemporary, there is um, someone who emerges at the moment just before everything changed. That, of course being Van the Man. Yeah, the 1960s feel so innocent in Ireland. You know, no one really knows what's around the corner. The, the IRA border campaign had kind of petered out uh, with a whimper rather than a bang. And, you know, it was the miniskirt, the Beatles and everything. The 60s felt pretty innocent. <laughs> uh, and, of course, the 1960s produced uh, Hinford Street's Van Morrison and what I consider to be the, the perfect Irish album, the perfect album, uh, Astral Weeks, which includes the great Cypress Avenue. Well, I'm caught one more time Up on Cypress Avenue I call one more time Up on Cypress Avenue 
And I'm conquered in a car seat Nothing that I can do little bit of Cypress Avenue by Van Morrison from Astral Week. Cypress Avenue only being about 10 minutes walk from Hinford yeah. Street uh, where he grew up. But um, it just it, it just really captures something, doesn't it? It does. And I mean, the connection of Van to the city is significant enough that when he came back to play a, a series of legendary gigs for his, his 70th birthday, uh, the city council actually donated the street sign for the street he grew wow. up on to him, which is amazing. I mean, that that's a great way of saying you are part of this place yeah. forever. But, you know, Morrison's arrival was kind of pre-troubles and he always kept them at arm's length and, and really didn't want to talk about them. He had an interesting identity and still does, Van. I mean, he collaborated with the Chieftains. He always felt some kind of Irish identity mm. too. But uh, about that amazing album that we've just heard, Van said, Astral Weeks did not sell as an album, even still today. A lot of people like it, mostly musicians and other artists and writers like it. But as an album, it didn't sell. And I just find that extraordinary. Uh, worth, of course, reflecting if you collaborated with the Chieftains and everything else, despite having a unionist background. Not a fan of the most re- recent uh, Minister of Health, uh, the no. Austrian unionist Robin Swan either. Um, someone who was very dangerous, uh, allegedly. Um, now, this is a real gear change because having heard that, uh, we're going to play something else, which is of a different genre entirely. Um, because punk is probably about as far removed from yeah. the sound of Astro Weeks as you can get. And then when it comes in its own time, the atmosphere that it's been played against is very different. Belfast becomes totally synonymous with punk rock music. And I mean, it, it, it's easy to ponder to what extent that story of Belfast punk has been kind of romanticised. If you go to the Ulster Museum, they talk about it. They've got the, the leather jackets and the, the patches and everything else on mm. display. And there is that beautiful 2003 movie uh, Good Vibrations about mm. Terry Hooley's iconic record label of the same name but actually people that were there say no this was really really important and, and Stuart Bailey wrote a lovely book Troubled Songs uh, he captures the importance of those kind of bands because they this wasn't Astral Weeks in the 1960s this was a different time you know people were dying and here was a movement and a kind of youth culture if you will uh, that united the tribes so bands like Stiff Little Fingers who, who, who burst into public consciousness suspect the vice in 1978 incredible I mean the first lines in the song inflammable material planted in my head it's a suspect device that's left 2,000 dead the troubles are on the troubles are real and as Stuart put it the message was simple the extremists have exploited the energy of youth let's take a listen Suspect Device by Stiff Little Fingers but this just suddenly feels really like I'm doing some sort of Desert Island Discs <laughs> where Don has chosen his favourite They would both be on my Desert Island Discs which is brilliant uh, the, the lyrics of that extract by the way they, they play their games of power they cut and mark the pack they deal us to the bottom but what do they put back don't believe them, don't believe them, don't be bitten twice. You've got a sus, sus, suspect device. There's ah. a real undeniable anger there. Totally, totally. And I mean, let's not over, for every, for every you know, left-wing anti-war punk, there was, you know, a, a right-winger in a bomber jacket. You know, people like Johnny Adair, a young Johnny Adair around that scene, uh, as Stuart Bailey writes about. It wasn't all uh, idealistic, but most of the people that were drawn into that kind of punk scene in Belfast, it was about being beyond, I suppose, the, a tribal identity. Mm. And Terry Hooley said something beautiful about Belfast punk that I think was true. New York has the bands, London has the clothes, 
but Belfast has the reason. Isn't that, isn't that fantastic? <laughs> so fake as the Sex Pistols were, you cannot deny Stiff Little Fingers were yeah. the real deal. Uh, it's something that I also think that it's just worth reflecting for a minute as well, just the importance of that that being the genre through which you express your annoyance. Because if you think of other other songs that were written about the Troubles and what, what they did to the North, and you think about Phil Coulter writing The Town I Loved So Well, and there's ways that you can do it as a balladeer, but there's yeah. also a real resonance that when you do it with that kind of punk energy as well. So it like really totally. is worth reflecting on. Um, these honours though, t- to be a UNESCO city of anything, um, it is as much about the today and the tomorrow as it is about yeah. your yesterday. I think that's a really important point. And I mean, look, in Dublin's case, Dublin's not a city of literature because James Joyce once walked around Dublin. Dublin's a city of literature because, you know, Sally Rooney writes about Dublin or, or you know, Claire Keegan, who studied in Trinity. I'm not trying to rob her, by the way, any <laughs> Wicklow listeners. She went to Trinity College. You know, Dublin has produced a lot of these mm. great talents. You know, journals like Tolka, The Stinging Fly. There's a lot going on in Dublin in terms of, of writing. So you're a city of literature because you have a living body of literature, yeah. not a historic mm. one. And I think the strength of Belfast's contemporary music scene is amazing. I mean, the AVA Electronic Music Festival is very strong. The trad scene is incredibly strong. Uh, in Belfast. All of that is so important. But I think what's finally happening in Belfast, and you get this feeling when you go there, tourism, it's not just the troubles industry. We have to learn about what happened. We have to understand it, of course. And some of the heritage sites around it are to a very high standard. But there's also a lot of stuff around the troubles that isn't to a high standard. That's kind of dark tourism and in the realm of, of something else. And I think we have to remember, while Belfast has had dark days and plenty of them, you know, there's been sunny ones too, we might say on the bright side of the street. And isn't it great to have something that honours this, you know, this great legacy and this great living culture? Had to finish with a little Van Morrison quotation, yeah. didn't you? <laughs> uh, not to get too meta, but if you want to read more uh, literature about the city of literature, you've got some options for your Christmas shopping list, don't you? Yes. Go on, uh, Three Castles plug Burning, it, plug it, plug a history of Dublin in 12 streets in all the good bookshops and a few of the bad ones. And um, a few of the bad ones as well. Donald Fallon is the author of that. He's the author of Henrietta Street from Tenement to Suburbia. He's the author of the Community Books. And he's the presenter of the Three Castles Burning podcast, which inspired the book of the same name, all about the history of our capital city, which you can find anywhere you get your list online on the record with Gavin Riley Sunday morning at 11 brought to you by PwC great minds think unalike different skill sets diverse opinions it all adds up to the new equation on news talk.